Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Academy Strength and Conditioning Coach at Arsenal Football Club, Powdy Roach. Thanks for tuning in to episode 228 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode is an interview with Powdy Roach. So Powdy is an Academy SNC coach at Arsenal Football Club. And I wanted to get Powdy on because after seeing Des Ryan speak, who's Powdy's boss at Arsenal, um, a couple of years ago and over numerous um, events, I wanted to get a bit deeper into the Arsenal way. So a lot of this podcast is focused around the Arsenal approach to physical development. So looking at functional competency, movement skills, uh, integrating conditioning, pond and periodization, and how they structure that at Arsenal um, fr- from DES and then all the way down through the academy age groups. So we also discuss biobanding um, and a holistic development of the athletes that they look after um, throughout the academy. So really interesting chat. Um, it was great to get Powdy on. Uh, I know he's a busy man, especially on uh, afternoons and evenings when I I, uh, usually do these podcasts. So really appreciate him coming on. And if you're involved in youth development, or even if you aren't involved in youth development, I'm sure you'll get tons and tons from this episode about the the structures and the the practices at Arsenal Football Club. So I hope you enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU, who are a world-leading inertial sensor and software platform, which is able to quantify body movement and workload metrics in the field. So iMeasureU is used by leading biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. So iMeasureU recently released IMU Step, which is a dual sensor and app solution for lower limb load monitoring and has been used successfully by practitioners to optimize return to play for running base sports predominantly. So unlike GPS, IMU Step focuses on lower limb musculoskeletal load and works via two really small synchronized high frequency tibial worn sensors. And these sensors can quantify three dimensional force of every step an athlete takes, precise left and right limb load asymmetry and cumulative bone load. 
So iMagier was founded by leading biomechanist Dr. Tor Bazir and was acquired by Vicon last year in 2017. So iMagier works with military, Olympic, pro and collegiate coaches and counts the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, Philadelphia 76ers and Harvard University as some of their clients. So if you'd like to get to know a little bit more about iMagierU, head over to the website which is imagieru.com or follow them on Twitter at imagieru. So without further ado, over to the episode with Paddy Roach. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I am delighted to welcome Paddy Roach to the podcast, who is Academy SNC at Arsenal Football Club. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you to the listeners for uh, tuning in. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, it'd be great to get a, a bit of an overview of your career leading up to your role at Arsenal. What you're doing, what you're currently doing at Arsenal, and um, we'll use that as a bit of a jumping-off point to uh, to get into the conversation. Cool, cool. Um, I suppose the best thing to do is work in reverse from current role to, to my humble beginnings. I suppose um, <laughs> I'm currently the academy strength and conditioning coach coach at Arsenal Football Club. Um, it's a role I've held for six years, coming up in July. Um, my first three years in the club, I spent in charge of the under-9s, under-16 youth academy program. And then in the last two and a half years, I've been leading the under-18 and under-23 academy program. Um, prior to that, um, prior to moving to London, I worked with Irish rugby for a number of years. Um, majority of my experience came through the Munster Rugby Academy and uh, youth development system, where I worked across all the age groups from under-16 to uh senior academy players and first team reserve players um, along the way I had the pleasure of working with the Irish national team for the 2011 World Cup in New Zealand as part of my work experience and after that I moved on to become the lead SNC coach for the Irish under 20s for the junior World Cup in, in 2013 so I've kind of gone around in circles um, from academy to first team back to academy uh, I suppose my journey began uh, at 21-22 when I was studying recreational and leisure management in, in Cork Institute of Technology. Um, at the time, there was no strength and conditioning pathway really in Ireland. This is 2000, 2001. Um, I kind of fell into strength and conditioning by accident through a love of weightlifting and pushing all things heavy. Um, <laughs> play, typical Irish boy growing up, played lots of sports, different sports, the Gaelic games, uh, football, soccer, um, athletics and then just through injury I ended up uh, finding weightlifting Olympic weightlifting and that really drove my passion for strength power speed development um when, when I finished college I ended up working in the in the university gym and um, just a little small gym and it was a mezzanine floor and, and that's where I came across um some very good strength and conditioning coaches Fergal O'Callaghan Mark McManus um, Aidan O'Connell who had worked with Munster Rugby and that was my first exposure to what a strength and conditioning coach really was. Um, these were people that were doing warm-ups, cool-downs, gym work, power work. They were out on the pitch doing speed sessions, conditioning sessions. So I suppose prior to that, I didn't really know what a strength and conditioning coach was. And that just ignited a kind of a passion in me to study the topic further and go out and better myself. And off the back of working in my gym, coaching students, staff members, taking them through your gym-based programs, etc., I ended up teaching aerobics, step classes, circuit classes, um, pretty much done everything I could to get experience at coaching. 
So what age was that? What age was that, mate? I was twenty. I was twenty-one when I started working full time in the gym. But prior to that, I was doing aerobics classes while I was still in university. And yeah. scary, scary times. Taking my first aerobic class for the university when I turn around and there's uh, fifty ladies there expecting to uh, get, uh, have their money's worth of a workout. So that was a that was a steep learning curve. <laughs> but it stood to Absolutely me. It stood to me. Um, yeah, it's something I always harp on about is that coach whoever you can when you're starting out. Uh, it, it, it all adds value. And I really enjoyed it, I must say, getting getting used to just dealing with different personalities and different things. So I suppose from there then, from, that was in Cork Institute of Technology. I spent almost four and a half, five years there. And then I moved uh, moved on to work in University College Cork as the first strength and conditioning coach there. And that role came about kind of by default because I was already working as a volunteer and part-time with the hockey academy, the rugby academy, the sailing academy, etc., um, as a kind of a, an outside consultant. So I, got, I was dipping into all sorts of academy structures around the Cork, Southern Ireland area at the time, um, not knowing what route I was really taking. So then from there, I only spent a year full-time in University College Cork, and then a job came up at Munster Rugby full-time. So um, I was lucky, uh, Dr. Liam Hennessy interviewed me and who is now my mentor and friend since then. And I was lucky to go and work full time at Munster Rugby for, for four seasons, which was an incredible experience. Um, dipping into the world of uh, really my first time dipping into elite, elite performance. At, at, at the time, Munster were European Heineken Cup champions and we were we were you know trying to get players uh, young boys ready to perform at the highest level so it was a really really interesting experience um and i, I had to develop a whole other skill set while working for them prior to that it was a lot of gym based stuff i was doing i was comfortable in my weightlifting background um so i was the kind of strength power guy um and i remember aiden o'connell at the time who was working with the first team of monster really you know he was a really good mentor to me and he had asked me to always you know not pigeonhole yourself and get experience at different things whether it's screening speed he said you know don't become at the time the industry was too small to become a specialist so um i became a generalist and i was with the irfu through des ryan my current boss that uh and lee menacy that i got a real real taste for long-term athletic development screening uh functional movement and training the youth athlete which Although I'd worked in academy structures before, it was, uh, you know, the academies were university-based academies and not really school and, and youth-based. And it was real, it was an area I could see real development in because the young athlete was, was the one that was neglected when in for, in, in my eyes, was the most important. So I was seeing that a rugby player coming into my academy at twenty twenty one had poor functional movement, had been on a weights program maybe since they were 16, but had lost movement and mobility and, and even force production through lack of mobility, lack of functional strength, etc. And I thought that was a very, very important thing to look at for the younger players. So after after um, spending four years at Munster, I, in that time I, I worked with some of the top coaches in Ireland, um, current head coach in Irish rugby, Jason Camos in Leinster. We used to have wonderful meetings in, in Dublin. Uh, Liam Hennessy used to pull all the fitness staff together and, We'd all sit around and, and chew the fat, which was an amazing experience. But after four years of working with Monster, I decided to do something crazy and give up my lovely job and take off two years traveling with my girlfriend at the time, um, which was a huge how, risk. How old were you there? How old were you there? I was uh, 31. 
So I had worked, you know, steadily all the way up along, spent 10 years building up a decent career uh, with a top team. And, and just, it was a, a niche in me that we, I had to scratch, it was to go and see a bit of the world. And um, it was a fantastic experience. And, and along the way, it happens that uh, Liam Hennessy had retired as director of fitness for the IRFU and, and Philip Morrow, who is now at Saracens, he, seized, he oversees the program at Saracens, he took over as head of performance and... I worked really closely with Phil and I just one day asked him, I'm traveling the world for two years. Could you, you know, hook me up with some contacts in, in New Zealand, Australia, some Africa, South Africa, um, to see if I could uh, get some work there or get some experience with different clubs. And to my sheer surprise and delight, he, he came back to me and said, uh, would you would you help me out at the World Cup? I need uh, an assistant at the World Cup nice. in New Zealand nice. in 2011, which was an incredible experience. Um so yeah, that's that's where I went from there. And after meeting the boys in the World Cup and getting getting the work done there, I moved to Australia for a year and uh, went down another route. Um, I had a temporary visa. Me and my girlfriend, we were just traveling. Really, couldn't couldn't get a full time S and C position because it's a really hot competitive market over there. Um, so I ended up personal training um, in a gym just to pay the rent and pay for travel and accommodation. And uh, it was another great experience. Um, going back in a different direction. So from there, I then moved back after two years traveling and ended up working with the Irish on the 20 squad a position came up there and spent the season with them working with the Six Nations and the Junior World Cup before the position came up here at Arsenal, which I applied for and subsequently was very lucky to get and I'm here since. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, really. Absolutely. That's class. Great stuff. Yeah. It's, good to, it's good to hear someone that... I mean, I'm 31 now, so it's it's interesting that you thought I'm going traveling. I'm going to bin this job, and I'm just going to take a risk and and go for it. So that's great, and yes. it gives you them experiences. Like you said, it was a great experience doing the PT, and it wasn't particularly what you wanted to do, but it all paints the picture of of the journey. I guess it all builds experiences that you can take forward. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember it was a it was. A really difficult thing to do was to leave a job that was going really, really well in a country that hasn't a huge amount of full-time strength and conditioning positions or professional sports. And I remember speaking to Liam Hennessy about it. Uh, I said, Liam, you know, I'm really nervous about this. And I remember him speaking to me going, you're a young man. It's a wonderful opportunity. Life is short. Go and get other experiences. And, and that kind of gave me the confidence to go and do it. And my, my girlfriend, who is now my wife at the time, Louise, was a huge influence on that. It was a, a, an itch she needed to scratch as well. And it was um, it was an absolutely fantastic experience. We, we ended up um, visiting 16 countries in two years and kind of getting a different perspective on well-being, holistic development, mental health, all those things that I took for granted as a performance coach. Um, so, yeah, it was good. And, and, and I suppose it highlights that you can you can – Made me, I suppose, it, it gave me a set of skills that I didn't realize I had, which is adaptability. And I think adaptability is one of the biggest key strengths for any strength and conditioning coach, personal trainer, performance coach, sports scientist, because jobs change very quickly, titles change very quickly, positions change very quickly. You know, a new head coach comes in or a new manager comes in, and you have to adapt. And I think those those couple of years traveling gave me great insight into how to adapt to a, a situation, an environment, a culture which has st stood to me to this very day. So 
I was very lucky to have that experience and I was very lucky. Uh, I would say people would always say you create your own look and the harder you work, the luckier you get. So I suppose when I came back to Ireland, uh, I was really nervous also because at the time I was like, just more jobs. But then the Irish 20 job popped up, kind of suited my, my skill set. And uh, yeah, I was lucky to fill that position. So, and then lucky again, I suppose if the word is right, lucky to uh, get the opportunity to work uh, at such a, a magnificent football club such as Arsenal. Superb. So let, let's let's have a little chat about Arsenal. So I'm using the basis of Des Ryan's UKCA talk from a couple of years ago because I thought it was a great a great uh, keynote keynote, and I, and I, I've watched it a couple of times. And he's great to listen to just purely for the accent, as similar to you. It's great to listen to. Um, so just talk us talk us through the. The, the model that you've created at Arsenal. I mean, in, in the in the lecture, Des went through the um, the amount of staff that have been brought on board and things like that. So it might be good to get a, a bit of a um, a story of how it's been built since you've been there over the last five or six years and then dive into the detail of what you're actually doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, so I suppose when, um, when Des came on board here six years ago, uh, there was very little academy structure in regards to sports science, sports medicine. I think there was one full-time S&C slash fitness coach and one physio here at the London Colony Academy. And there was the same at the Youth Academy, which caters for eight squads. So Des came in and had a look around as Des does. He, he's very good at coming in, assessing, you know, taking time to get to know people, have a look at what's needed. And there was a, a gross lack of contact time with the boys and stuff because there was no staffing so then days i think put in place and, and had the budget to do so to get some staff together and uh, we started working on that together when i first moved over um, he had hired some other staff um, to, to run different programs there was more physios brought in and from there then he just really just his vision all the time was to develop world-class soccer players that was that was the remit and from there I came on board um, in 2013 and Des just said, go in, see what this needs. Uh, this was at the under-9s, under-16s program. Go in, see what's needed here as regards what you think structure-wise, etc. Uh, at the time. So from there, there was me and another full-time guy called Noel Carr that we took on shortly after we came here. And we then went looking for interns. We saw Des believed that people were key in this process. Uh, having good people with the young players. Um, so we had very, very stringent interviews, very strict interviews, and lots of people applying for these positions. And uh, we took on two interns to work alongside myself and Noel and, and get the programme started in, in the Hale End Academy first, which is the youth development section. So at the time, we were training out of a marquee. It had three little racks, a few dumbbells. Um, it was functional. It was functional. But what we were looking at doing was just building a structure of getting young football players used to strength and conditioning contact time, whether that was warm-ups, cool-downs, athletic development sessions. Um, and from there, it was just a case of building relationships with the coaches and with the staff uh, and the players more so. Because at the time, and still in a lot of clubs in football, strength and conditioning is, is not a big thing. Um, and at the time, as I said, there wasn't much going on here with regards to strength and conditioning due to small staffing levels. So we were very conscious of not just coming in and stepping on toes, coming in and upsetting coaches, technical coaches who had been here 
most of their lives as players, as coaches, uh, as staff. So building relations was was definitely the, the most rewarding battle at the start. Getting to know people and the people getting to know us that we're here to help their players get better. Um, and then that in line with that, the other structure, because we work out of two training centres, the under-18 and under-23s were training at the first team ground. And Des was really heading up that, that structure there with... Uh, with the other SNC staff, Ivan McCandy, Sam Wilson, and uh, we had some interns there as well. Jerry Flannery, the famous Irish rugby player, Johnny O'Connor, was working there, uh, who now have gone on to work with Monster and Connacht subsequently. Um, so they really drove another strong culture of building relations with, with the boys, getting them used to what we would consider athletic development. And that took time. So it took a lot of relationship building and all the time working in small facilities, um, with the vision of down the road building a performance centre for the academy. Um, so from there, there's at all the time was very keen on developing a philosophy and developing the Arsenal Athletic Development Plan pathway and having that as a document that underpinned and governed what we've done every day. And that's uh, that's an organic document. I suppose this is the most important part of our day-to-day work is the athletic development pathway, which is uh, it's a living, breathing thing that's also it's organic. It's been added to, it's been taken away. So from that, um, there's wanted to see how do Arsenal approach, how do, they, how do we approach physically developing young players? And he had many conversations with various stakeholders and staff within the academy. And it was actually the doctor, uh, Dr. Jez Steinberg, who came up with a narrow approach. Like Des was looking at pyramids. Should we have a pyramid building the base up to the point of performance? It was actually it was Dr. Jez who came up with a fantastic idea of the arrow approach, which is an arrow leading to the right. And within that arrow, you have got four sections, functional competency, movement skills, integrated conditioning, planning and periodization. So you're always looking to build on those and move forward. Um, and that was what governed... I suppose our day-to-day work to start was building relationships, but looking at functional competency across all the athletes, building on that first before we go on to more complex work um, like strength, power, speed development, because we could have a top-class gifted athletic footballer, but he might have a very low training age. And subsequently, what we were seeing when we first came here, there was a lot of injuries, soft tissue type injuries from overload or underload, uh, maybe overload on the pitch, underload in athletic development or vice versa. So we had to look at that, build relationships, plan, monitor, look at sessions and get the coach on side that, you know, it's, it's not necessary to do a two and a half hour session, maybe a, a 90 minute session that with intensity, with a good warm up and some speed drills might be a better option. So from there, we really drove that, that arrow approach forward uh, and day by day, planned and progressed that as much as we could. So, so what does what does functional competency mean, Paddy? So for us, functional competency is being an efficient mover. So yeah. we carry out screening at a very high level here. We carry out screening three times a year. Pre-season screening was brought in when we started. There was screening done here, but it was down to staffing again. We didn't have the staff to do high-level high stuff. So Can you take us through that screen? So yeah, so preseason when a boy, so screening we screen players from nine to twenty three. So that's a probably two hundred and forty boys. Um, we 
we're looking out at that. That's evolving all the time, and, and we're using technology to help us there. But traditionally, we would have done the orthopedic screen, joint by joint screen with the physio and the doctor. That was done with uh, and a cardiac screen, um, which is a requirement for the FA now for any boys that are going on international duty. And and within that, then you're looking at joint by joint mobility stability problems that we need to look at. And after we've done all those screenings, the physios and conditioning coaches would sit down and put together a corrective exercise or rehab prehab based uh, kind of program. And that that ultimately is that underpins everything we do here is functional competency because we believe you can be strong and powerful and athletic and have natural ability but if you're not functionally competent then maybe you can't express that strength power and speed efficiently um so that's pre-season we, we carry out that screening um we done the fms for five years and we've moved on from that um in the last 12 months for various reasons we still believe in it so we still see it as a purpose i know people say the fms has its flaws um, with regards, you can train a person to get a better score in the FMS. Well, we see it as a snapshot, really, of, of, of how a person moves. So we have been using that quite a lot. And uh, recently, more recently, with the older boys from the 18s to 23s, we're, we're working with a PhD student looking at the DARI motion capture um, system, which is a markerless video system looking at uh, biomechanics of, of 18 to 19 different movements. So that's something that we're kind of looking at but keeping on the wraps at the moment uh, so that we get better data and have a look at how it's really working and we, we want screening to be an efficient and effective process that it's you're not trawling through data 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 or reviewing screens all the time that a person can go in and do some movements within this system and we know straight away if their norms are, are above and below par so functional competency is, is something we work very hard on that's Everything we do daily leads to mobility, stability first, um, movement through full range in every exercise we do, proper speed mechanics where appropriate. We look at all those things before we look at load or high-level plyometrics or ballistic work or even conditioning. So we want all our young boys from 9 to 23 to be efficient movers. So that, so apparently that, that diary um, motion capture, that's replaced the FMS? Is that right? Um, no, the FMS, the FMS came. It was interesting. Um, we still use the FMS occasionally. Um, at the, what what we were finding was that the, the physios were carrying out an orthopedic screen, joint by joint, angle by angle, uh, muscle strength, muscle stiffness. Um, we were also videoing the boys for postural stuff, so they would do a series of exercises, a lunge overhead, squat, etc., with a plumb line. So we were getting all this data and then carrying out the FMS. So we were we felt that maybe we had what we needed from and probably had what we needed from the orthopedic screen and, and the video session. So the FMS then um, dropped out just this preseason, and actually it might be something that we add back in because it's quite useful. So we're going to take a very quick break in the chat with Powdy. Hope you're enjoying part one. So in part two, we discuss short-term readiness versus long-term development in terms of um, the, the guys in the academy that Powdy works with. We also discuss the role of Olympic lifting and why Arsenal have adopted uh, the approach to integrate Olympic lifting with their athletes, what it gives them, um, how they structure sessions with Olympic lifting, uh, where Olympic lifting is involved, um, and how they use a holistic approach to develop their athletes in the Arsenal Academy. So just before we do get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. 
So Fatigue Science have exclusive access of the SAFT model, which is an algorithm developed by the US Army. And if you listen to my episode with Ian Dunican, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So the SAFT model analyzes uh, a number of different factors in your sleep history to predict your fatigue for the day ahead. So the alertness score indicates fatigue predicted effects on your reaction time, your lapse index, your mental output, all, all things that are obviously essential for the performance that you're gonna undertake that day. So as you can tell, it is much more than a sleep tracking device. However, it is a sleep tracking device, but not only does it track sleep, um, it considers the time you went to sleep, how well you slept, how much sleep debt you have, and even your local sunrise and sunset times. So a really impressive bit of kit is the ready band from Fatigue Science. So if you are interested in getting to know a little bit more about Fatigue Science, head over to their website, uh, fatiguescience.com, but also follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science. So also sponsoring today's podcast is St. Mary's University. So St. Mary's is internationally renowned as a leader in strength and conditioning education, and it was the first UK institution to offer an undergraduate degree in strength and conditioning. And its master's program, which I have been through personally and would highly recommend, was the first part-time distance learning strength and conditioning course in the UK. And it's the emphasis on the development of coaching skills and relevance of theory to practice, which makes St. Mary's stand out from the other courses that are out there. So both uh, undergraduate and postgraduate courses are delivered in the purpose-built state-of-the-art performance education centre and anyone that's been to St Mary's will know what a fantastic uh, facility that is and is taught by staff that are highly experienced coaches and expert sports scientists. And one thing that students are really on the lookout for now is universities' links with uh, professional sport, and that's definitely something that St Mary's has with their links with multiple football clubs across London in Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Fulham, but also uh, London Irish in rugby and Sutton Tennis Academy. They also embed students within the Royal Ballet Company and Royal Ballet School in London. And this obviously helps students stop saying uh, necessary coaching experience to maximise their chances of gaining employment post-graduation. So in addition to the strength and conditioning courses, they offer both undergraduate and postgraduate programmes in physiology and sports rehab. But if you're interested in getting to know more about the course at St Mary's, make sure you visit their website, uh, which is stmarys.ac.uk forward slash courses. And then movement skills what what is the how does that look in reality when you are ticking that box on that arrow moving to the right where's that where's that leading us so um i suppose movement skills i suppose to look more at the arrow again those segments functional competency movement skills integrated conditioning planning and periodization they're they're broken into subcategories so functional competency we consider level one and our, our motto is how well not how much so you're looking at efficient movement and efficient competency in, in a broad range of physical literacy exercises. The movement skills then looks, that's a level two. That looks at how well and how much. So now we're building on functional competency. We're looking at movement under stress, if you want to call it that. So we're looking at jumping landing mechanics. We're looking at loaded loaded exercises and how they move in the loaded exercise. We're looking at um High, higher level plyometrics and, and off the back of those levels we have a whole host of exercise index that 
allows you to move on to the next stage. And then you're looking at level three at this stage now in the integrated conditioning. We're looking at how well, how much, and how fast. So we're, we're moving on to the more elite end of things. Now we're looking, you're an efficient mover. You're, you're stable, you're mobile. You're now starting to get strong. But now let's see about rate, force, rate of force development, rate of force production, uh, and how, how you're producing and absorbing force at a high level. And then level four is elite level. That's that's the planning and periodization section. Now they're, they're all interlinked. Like when you move on to the next section, if we move on to integrated conditioning, we don't forget functional competency. If I move on to planning and periodization, I don't forget movement skills. The emphasis changes as you become a better athlete. Yeah, cool. So that's them. So each one of them has got different levels in between. So as you, as you mentioned before, someone could come in at, 19 or 20 from i don't know spain and still yeah. be a level one still going at level one absolutely so we must we must call and this is where all the screening in the world is 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 fantastic and we're looking to do that but des is big on leading us with having a coaching eye and experience and that's why he wants experienced coaches with the youth players to have that coaching eye that you coach the person in front of you you use all your data to analyze and predict if you can, how ready that player is to move on to the next level or to train that day. However, we, it's the coaching eye is key here that you train what's in front of you on that given day. So that's where within those levels we have categories. But you might be a level one in one exercise and a level five in another exercise. and That's where it's organic. And we've set targets for players, but they, they change. And that's what you hope that they would change as your training age increases. But we are, yeah, we are finding that some overseas players or some players within the UK from different clubs, different backgrounds, might be a level one when they're playing at a level four. They might be an elite level footballer, but a level one athlete. And that's where we need to be careful. Yeah. So in terms of the exercise selection that you um, that you use within your sessions, you've been a big, you guys have been a big proponents of Olympic lifting. Is that Yes, we have, yes. Do you, from your experience, is that something that have you moved towards that, or has that always been your philosophy, and that's what you're going to run with because you believe that's the right thing to do, or has that evolved over time? It's evolved over time. I suppose my background was Olympic lifting and powerlifting, and when I took over the rugby academy and looked after the boys there, I would have pushed it on them a bit, knowing the benefits of it. However, um, looking back in hindsight, um, you know, maybe. I overemphasized it, uh, that it was not to be all and end all, but I, I'd work very hard to get a person into a good snatch position, a good power clean position, when I could have been more efficient with other exercises. Now, we believe here, uh, and this is our all our staff's belief, it, it's not, we're not recruiting staff based on their beliefs in Olympic lifting. Um, we, we're recruiting staff based on their beliefs in a holistic approach to physical literacy. And for me, I want our young boys to be able to perform any exercise that they need um so i feel you get a big bang for your buck from olympic lifting i do however realize it's not for everyone and we use variations of the lifts and i know definitely in the literature right now um there's lots of stuff on, on the olympic lifting you know dr paul comfort has done quite a few studies on you know um force absorption and stuff do you need to catch the barbell in the front squat position when you clean or not um i know certainly Going back five years, there's a lot of research based on just do hang clean or hang snatch because that's where most power is produced. But we like to have 
full physical literacy here where our boys can move through full ranges of movement or use the hanging positions if we need to. So we like to give them those tools. And again, not every boy is built to do Olympic lifting. You might spend ages working on a goalkeeper to get shoulder stability, mobility to do a snatch when you might have better bang for your buck doing other exercises like loaded jumps, etc. So we, we do use Olympic lifting. It's a part of our program and across all the age groups. I think teaching someone to clean and snatch not just teaches them how to accelerate, decelerate and create dynamic stability, but if you can overhead squat um, ass to grass, then with a, even with a dowel, then you know that boy is functionally pretty good. If you can front squat with a nice high elbow rack position, ass to grass, then you know that boy's got good thoracic stability, thoracic mobility. He's got good lumbar stability. You know, his hips and knees and ankles are, are working according to how you see them moving. So we like to work through full range of big exercises uh, in lots of ways. So that for me, you're, you're screening as you're coaching these exercises. So, but again, some boys, uh, I have a, a boy that came from Spain this year and I'm very slow to teach him the Olympic lifting just because he's he's not happy catching it on his shoulders there. He hasn't got much meat across his shoulders. So we're working on other things while he, he develops those positions. But again, I'm getting his power training from, from other areas. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to chat about next is biobanding. And that's something that has gained a lot of... Um, Getting a lot of publicity over the last, certainly over the last couple of years. And it was something I discussed with Sean coming from uh, Uni of Bath uh, probably about a year ago now. Is it something that you are a fan of? Is it something that you do down there um, in terms of uh, strength and power sessions and speed sessions? Is it something that you, um, is it some, how you uh, split up players in terms of their development versus their chronological age? What's your view of biobanding well we're as a department we're definitely bigger bigger fans of biobanding and we were seeing particularly in football it's been it's very much biased towards the the early developer um and maybe the, the the young talented small boys getting lost in that so we are big big fans of biobanding um Trying to get it off the ground in a, in the football environment is complex. Um, I know there's lots of clubs that are doing some very good work on this. I know Southampton are looking at it. We're currently looking at it. Um, I'm not involved with the nines to sixteens anymore. That's uh, Perry Stewart leads that. Um, Dominic May, Christian Vassello. I know those guys down there in in Hayland, in the other training ground, have been working on that at a high level the last couple of years. So they've actually started last year training groups based on. Um, developmental age and not chronological age which has been very good and they've got some good feedback from the technical coaches on that so we are fans of biobanding i think it's something we need to look at um we have spoke to all the relevant people as well on that i know that southampton are doing a lot of work there was a premier league study done on it and the feedback was very 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 promising um because what we're finding we, we were finding when we were screening 14 15 16 year olds an under 14 uh, early born early developer playing against a late born late developer in the same group could be up to 2.2 two and a half times more mature in years physically which was um, which was a real problem so who are we judging and how <laughs> and we're actually finding since my time here that some of our early developers that were powerful three years ago four years ago that are now coming through into the older age groups are, are struggling because along the way they haven't affected perfected the technical aspect which 
was masked by their physical prowess. So biobanding is, is something that we need to look at further. It's it's growing. It's an organic thing here again. It is working here. Um, we've had a few games against uh, several opposition clubs. Um, they do it in the half-term weeks to see how it works, and the feedback seems to be really good. Superb. Because so, comparing like with like. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and this, this brings me on to something else in terms of the structure of your we'll, we'll go for gym sessions as, a, as an example so the, the the lad that's been at the club from spain for six months and is you know not in any gym work whatsoever is in the same session as the guy that the, the lad that's been there from eight years old and has been through your program for the last five years in terms of the structure of your session how do you cater for both what's it actually look like in reality so the, the first of all, the program will be built off uh, many conversations with um, well, a multidisciplinary team, really, um, looking at the four-corner model, technical, tactical, physical, psychological. Um, we look at all those aspects when building our programs. Uh, we'd sit with the coach, we'd sit with the physio, sit with the psychologist, and look at, number one, the screening of the athlete. So we that's, that's the baseline we always have, and that's constant. Where are they stable, unstable, weak, tight, etc.? So that's the first thing we would look at. And, and that, that boy from Spain's priority is stability, mobility, um, if he's poor there. Now, if he hasn't had a big training age of training load as regards weight or power training, then we need to drip feed that very slowly in because, first of all, he not only has to adapt to the load in the gym, he has to adapt to the load on the pitch because he, his training might have been very different in a different country. And it's quite hard to actually get information on that when you speak to a boy that's come from a foreign club because um, they do things so differently across even the clubs in the UK. So to cater for the boy within that session, all the programs from now from under 14 up to under 23 are individualised based on that player's needs, um, which takes a huge amount of work, but it is getting a huge buy-in from the player. Um, now, the, the variance in individuality might be this exercise, this boy does a split squat instead of a back squat because his hips just don't, aren't designed to back squat. He's got a long femur and a long shin bone, so he's better off doing a more stability type split leg exercise than a, than a, than a back squat or front squat, etc. But that's how we cater for them. And we, with the boy coming in that hasn't got a training age, we were very, very sharp on monitoring his training load both on and off the pitch and trip feeding and microdosing in the exercises and and the work really because uh, first of all as i said he has to adapt there's many stresses on the body uh, as we know there's new environment and uh, new culture um maybe a different time that he trains compared to when he was in spain he could have been training in the evening when it's cool now he's in london in the summer training at 10 a.m so we have to be very conscious of all those things. So within a session, each boy would have his individualized plan and program for that day. And we try to prioritize that program around the session on the pitch. So for instance, a Monday is two days. Our 18s, our under 18s week is pretty straightforward. We, we play Saturday, nearly every Saturday, unless it's a cup week. And so Sunday would be off. Monday is match day plus two. We know the boys are still carrying fatigue from the game, so we would do technical training in the morning after a mobility stability session, maybe upper body in the afternoon. So then we know we're helping them recover, their legs recover a bit more. So Tuesday then is our work day. That's our power speed work day when we're getting our metabolic conditioning in, our extensive work in. And so it's, that's, how we pl- that's how we plan it. Uh, around the day uh, of training on the pitch, what's, what's, 
what's our priority on that day? So we, the coach knows on a Tuesday, that's priority is, is getting work into the boys, um, whether that's anaerobic work or extensive distance work or high-speed running work or max acceleration work. That's the day we get that done because it's far enough away from the game that we're not fatiguing them and then close away from the previous game that they're fresh enough to do it. So then that boy from Spain or the boy who hasn't got the training age, we, we would reduce his volume that day within those sessions. His priority is to train with the team and make sure that he's out on the grass playing football. So he might do less sprints, he might do less hops, he might do less complex exercises, while all the time we build that uh, as he as he gains his training age here uh, across our system. And we're finding because the program is individualized to that detail that the boy will catch up quite quickly because generally, if they've come here as a footballer, they're a good athlete as well. Generally, um, some some it depends on the position, but generally, um, it depends on their playing position. But generally, they're good athletes and they pick things up quickly. It's just the load management for me is key that it's dropped in at an appropriate level and built up an appropriate level. And that's the same for our own schoolboys that are coming up from under sixteen level who have a good training age. That step up to the under eighteens and under twenty threes can be quite big as it is for our under-23s players going up to the first team. So that, that load management for me, whether it's an Olympic athlete getting ready for to win a gold in the next Olympics or a young boy moving country and changing position, it, load management is key, is key. The, the exercise is down to the individual preference and the, the coach's preference, but it's how you manage and track that load for me is vital. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned it there, and brings me on to my next point of when when these kids are developing from, uh, sorry, moving from under sixteens to under eighteens. There's so much going on. There's they're going to college. They've got FA Youth Cup games in the week. Obviously, you guys are a big club, so you expect to go far. You've got games every Saturday. You've got uh, obviously training through the week. You've got all the stresses that come with being a 16 to 18 year old but you've also got other things and, and you having the the you know uh some decent resources down there you'll have um like a more of a holistic development in terms of like nutrition um cultural things you've got a psychologist all these there's there's so much going on for these young lads but what i'd, what I'd like to get to know is that holistic development that nutrition the, the cultural things that the leadership all of that kind of stuff what what else is going on at the club for these guys apart from in the gym college and football there's obviously so much more going on for these guys so yeah that's a very good point yeah we're, we're looking here we have a i would say we, i uh, i like the word that was described to me during the week by our head of personal development and psychology kate it was a uh, scaffolding we've got a lot of scaffolding around these bodies to help them develop and uh, what part of the scaffolding are we? And I, I thought that was a very interesting question. Um, we've got a player liaison officer, Rebecca, who does so much for the boys as well to help their transition. Because as you say, the transition from part-time schoolboy football, which is what it is, to where every boy plays 50 minutes a week uh, because you know you have to make sure every boy gets a fair shot, to then being cut from the club or moving to another club or to moving up to this club, for his first time as a full-time professional, there is a huge amount going on for that young man. And actually, the physical stuff isn't always the difficulty. The physical stuff, we're working on bridging that gap all the time. It's the other stuff. Uh, they're coming in as schoolboys, and we're expecting them to be adults. Um, a lot of people would expect them to be adults. You're now full-time, behave like an adult. 
I can tell you when I was 15 or 16, I certainly wasn't an addict. <laughs> um, so they have a whole lot going on, yeah. So we, we, we look to have at least the GCSEs coming up here, but that, that's not always the case for many reasons. Um, uh, some of the boys might fall down in education for various reasons. We've got a huge, we've got a huge uh, melting pot of cultures and my, uh, ethnic minorities here, uh, African-Caribbean descent, we've got Spanish, we've got Estonian, we've got all sorts of, uh, of boys from different cultures here. And we want them to have a base level of education coming in, but that's not always the case. So when on a Wednesday, Wednesday's a big school day for us. So they do recovery. Uh, we train Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday's a big school day. Now that's where they would do their official schooling. Um, if they haven't got GCSEs, the club here run a thing called functional skills, which bridges that gap, which would be mathematics, economics, life skills type activities. On a Monday afternoon, between gym sessions, they we rotate gym sessions. They would have what they call um, holistic development with our uh, head of personal development and our player liaison officer, where sometimes they bring in guest speakers. Sometimes they run workshops themselves on sexual health. Um, they might help them with their driving tests. Um, there was a very good speaker in last week on what's your brand and how to create your own brand because ultimately, as a young footballer, you're a sole trader and a business. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting they work on those kind of things Um, you know lifestyle management how do you deal with agents how do you deal with social media we get we're we're, the club are very strong on social media here and we're we're very strong on developing the boys skills in social media what's right what's not right to do and for me that's massive in this day and age Um, you know you send one tweet there that's misinterpreted and then it can ruin your perception as a footballer as a person so they do all a lot of they do a lot of holistic curriculum here we have uh, two full-time nutritionists in the academy that work across both sites craig omenia and stephanie ridley um craig has worked with f1 drivers he's worked with rugby league huge experience stephanie's coming from um private background private nutrition and the consultations and stuff and they they've really been fantastic with the boys as well in developing life skills in cooking eating making the right choices, which, you know, it's difficult with young 16, 17, 18-year-olds who are away from home for the first time, probably. Uh, they're now having to look after themselves a little bit more. But, yeah, I think we, I think we, it could always be better. Everything could be better. But I think we are doing a really good job in the area of holistic development. They've got nutrition, life skills, branding, social media skills. We help them with their driving tests. Um, we've got quite a few boys doing GCS or doing A levels, which is fantastic. We one boy last year get an award from the Premier League for getting two A's and a B in A levels while being a full time athlete, which is fantastic. That's a big achievement. Yeah, big achievement for that boy. Um, so we are big on education, and our new our new um, academy manager, Per Mertesacker, is huge on education, and the boys being well rounded individuals, which I think really drives our our culture as well as a department. Um, Des is big on respect and get to know people, get people to like you, um, treat them with kindness. And then from there, you, you'll, you'll have a boy who wants to work with you, a boy who believes that you're trying to help him. You be hard on him when you need to be hard on him, but be fair. And I think that's what we're all trying to do in this club. Uh, we're trying to produce decent human beings because not everyone, it doesn't work out here for everyone. Um, but they could go on to have a career somewhere else. Uh, we have one young boy last year who um, dropped out of football and was offered a scholarship uh, in sports science in Loughborough University because he, he likes strength and conditioning and, and thought that might be an avenue for him. So that's a wonderful thing to see. Um, 
Yes, we have a lot of scaffolding around the boys. Um, and that might sound like we're, we're wrapping them up in cotton wool. That's not the case. Um, we're trying to create a very challenging environment here, but a caring environment for them where they can thrive and become better athletes, better footballers, better human beings. And that might sound very corny, but as I said, this, this industry, particularly in the Premier League, is so harsh for boys that fall out of the system that they need to be ready for that. So we work very hard on that. And there's a lot of time... Um, dedicated to education and uh, holistic development. Um, they take, for instance, last year we took them out to a fire station uh, to see someone being cut out of a car. They went into right. a burning building, put out a fire to see the consequences of if you get a nice car and you drive it too fast, this is what could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, various things like that, that we try to just show them a little bit of reality because they live in a bubble and so do we in this environment. Yeah, where yeah. Magnificent facilities all the food and support and holistic development they need, but it's outside of here what happens. Because ultimately, we only have them for a few hours a day, even though they're full-time. So the influences from outside factors uh, needs to be managed. Absolutely. Class. Brilliant. Well, Paddy, thank you very much for your time. We're coming to 45 minutes. I'd just like to wrap it up. Before I do, where can people get in touch with you, um, keep up to date what you've got going on? Are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram, Facebook? Where's the best place? That's a very interesting question. Um, I am on Twitter, uh, my own personal account. I don't, we have a policy here, kind of, we don't put videos of the boys training up and different things here yet. Um, We're, you know, we keep that kind of in-house. I don't flash around on Instagram on that, but Mm -hmm. if if people have questions, yes, I am on Twitter at coach underscore roach underscore, or you can get me on proach at arsenal.co.uk. That's P-R-O-C-H-E at arsenal.co.uk if you have any questions or any any ideas you'd like to bounce off me. Great. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate you giving up your time on a Friday afternoon. And uh, thanks for insights and into what you do at Arsenal. Keep in touch. My pleasure. I'm sorry for ranting there. There's just so much that I'm passionate about uh, showing you here. It's, it's uh, We could do this for hours. No, absolutely. No, don't worry about that. It's great to hear what's going on at your place and... Uh, what you've done as a person and a professional and yeah superb thanks mate thank you very much thanks mate thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast I hope you enjoyed the chat with Powdy so massive thanks to Powdy for giving up his time in his busy schedule um, working with the Academy at Arsenal is clearly a very demanding uh, role obviously enjoyable but very demanding role so really appreciate his, uh, his time and insights into what he does at the club and also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to I Measure You, to Fatigue Science and St Mary's University for sponsoring this episode today. So really appreciate your support, as I say every week. But if you haven't pressed subscribe on your chosen podcast player, make sure you do. So every Thursday morning, UK time, you will get a new podcast in your uh, podcast app. So thanks for tuning in and I'll chat to you next week.